So the first reading is Matthew 5, 27 to 30. It's on page 736 in the Blue Bibles. Teaching about adultery. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And the second reading is Psalm 51, 10 to 17. And this is a Psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. It's on page 436. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O God, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Thank you, Sandy. And uh, for those visitors or those who have just recently joined us, uh, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and one thing I really appreciate what Alistair uh, is determined about, and I follow him in this, is that we don't skip the hard passages. There are some awkward um, and uncomfortable feeling passages in there which Jesus teaches us, and we've got to listen to them. Okay, so today and the next week is probably some of those more challenging ones for us and how we approach and how we listen to them too. First of all, have we got any Netflixes out there or Disney Pluses? How many people watch Netflix or Disney Plus? Yeah, yeah, okay. Guilty as charged too. Um, and I wonder... If I see this mainly on Disney Plus uh, when you look at a series. You've got the different episodes, and then after, well, every episode you go back to uh, the next one and it has an introduction, which you can skip if, unless you like the music. And then every four or five episodes, it will have a recap uh, of what's happened in the past. And even while this seems like a, a strange comparison, with the Sermon on the Mount, we actually should be doing that too. Having a recap of what we've read um, or what we've been studying in the passages. Uh, and alongside that uh, is the chance to read the entire Sermon on the Mount in one go. I'm really enjoying uh, studying it bit by bit, a passage at a time, 
and learning what Jesus is speaking to me in that regards. But I also know that there's a time when, and I hope you'll do this, is that sit down this week, next week, and read the Gospel of Matthew from chapters 5, 6, and 7, the whole Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus didn't have infomercials in between things. He did the whole thing there. And we should read through it and reflect on it and see what we can learn from that too. You see, while there are important lessons to be learned in each section, the structure and the message is leading you to the same point. We're on the second challenging instruction of six, where Jesus does not want us to strive Jesus wants us to strive to follow his example. He's not just wanting us to do that, but he's also wanting us to understand that we cannot live up to the expectation of God's law by our own self-righteousness. Because God's law asks for an internal heart change, not just follow a list of instructions to physically obey. The only way we can be righteous in God's sight is by accepting Jesus as our righteousness, as the only one who has never sinned, and the only way in which we can be saved. And so we will be reminded of this as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount to a conclusion at the end of a sermon where Jesus asks us to make a choice. Are we going to, keep trust, are we going to build our life on the firm foundation of his righteousness? Or are we going to keep trusting in the sandy foundation of your own self-righteousness? As if we can work out our way to salvation. So do read the three chapters, all in one sitting, sometime and reflect on the whole message. And if you can, take time too, over the weeks, to recap on the message so far. See what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you as we carry on the study. Allow me to um, do that now as I've recapped, thinking about what we've looked at in the Sermon of the Mount over the last wee while. First of all, we've got the Beatitudes. One for me, which stands out, is in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for Jesus, for they will be filled. And then we later on hear about our function. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And Jesus reminded his listeners that he did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And again, thinking about the righteousness. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he speaks also of the relationships, not just between each other, but between us and God. He says, go and be reconciled to that person. You find they've got something against you. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. We have to remember that too when we partake in communion. And that brings us to today's message. Just as Jesus explained that when we are angry with one another, it's like the external act of murder, so too if we allow sinful thoughts to remain in our hearts, like lust and adultery, is no different from carrying out the act. While these verses today focus on heart adultery, you may also find you can apply this message to any addictions or temptations that challenge you. Perhaps pride, self-pity, anger, a judgmental character towards others. But in saying that, to apply it to all those other situations, I also don't want us to skip over the seriousness of the adultery that Jesus speaks against, even when it makes us feel awkward and uncomfortable. 
We live in a time when images, messages and temptations are literally at our fingertips. Certain media platforms, advertising and entertainment deliberately aim to feed us something that is not good for us. Such things are virtually impossible to avoid. Here's a couple of worthwhile sayings. The godly heart plans to avoid temptations whenever possible and flee from them when unavoidable. And the godly heart protects itself in advance. But when we fail, when we fall short of the mark, and we will, how we respond through true, deliberate repentance demonstrates our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we find two characters in the Bible who are challenged with this temptation and the outcome of each. King David and Joseph. One who falls to sin and one who flees from sin. Let me read a little bit of Second uh, Samuel. And this is the story of King David uh, and his adultery to Bathsheba. It starts with this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Then one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on his roof of the palace. From the roof, roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The men said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came with, to him and slept with her. And she went back home and then let David know that she became pregnant. Verse 1 suggests that something was up with David. The writer of 2 Samuel points out that this is a time when he should have been leading his troops as he had done every other time. But instead of carrying out his kingly duty, he stayed at home. Perhaps he was recovering from a sickness. Perhaps he was feeling age creep up on him, or had other family matters to attend. However, what we find him ending up doing is idly letting his eyes and his heart dwell on that which was not his. David was not at fault of accidentally seeing Bathsheba bathing, his sin was in dwelling on the site and in willingly succumbing to the temptation, bringing it on to an intention. This dwelling on the intention in his heart led to the external act of committing adultery. And then to cover up his sin, as if God and others would not notice, sets up a plan to have Bathsheba's husband killed in battle so that everything could work out all right without him having to openly repent. The downfall of King David's was to dwell on temptation. Again, the godly heart plans to avoid temptation or flee from temptation, not to dwell on temptation. And David's described as a man after God's own heart. We see that and hear that in the Bible. We see it in what he does elsewhere. Yet we see this ongoing battle with sin, even for those who want to focus on Christ and Christ alone. So let's look at Joseph. From Joseph, from having dreams of God planning to lift him up, he's been sold as a slave in Egypt, living in a foreign land and living in contrast to how he pictured God would use him. And he's sent, uh, and he works as a servant in the house of Potiphar. And one day this happens. This is from Genesis 39. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? What is that relationship he's talking about? Note the relationship breakdown Joseph mentions when we give in to sin. The relationship breakdown occurs not just between two people, but also between us and God. Hence the importance in Jesus' words that we read a couple of weeks ago, that when we are offering a gift at the altar or a tithing or offering to God, and remember that a brother or sister has something against us, whether we're in the right or wrong, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and reconcile first with others and then come to God. And then uh, Joseph finds that uh, Potiphar's wife uh, tries to seduce him. He doesn't stay. He doesn't let anything uh, happen. He simply flees. He leaves his cloak behind and he flees from the temptation. And there, in anger and hurt and bitterness, Potiphar's wife decides to hurt Joseph. She says to her husband, look what the Hebrew slave has tried to do to me. And then he ran, ran away, leaving my cloak behind. And when Joseph's master heard the story, his wife told him, then he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison and placed a place where the prisoners of the king were confined. Again, we think the godly heart plans to avoid temptation when possible and flee from them when unavoidable. Joseph physically flees from temptation, yet still finds that outcome against him. However, I think this is important to note. If Potiphar had really believed his wife's story, he would have had Joseph killed, not just sent to prison. In the story of these two characters, we can find a vast range of other heart conditions that bring temptations and often work together to cause us to sin. There is pride in position. Joseph could have thought, I'm a master's top servant. He has trusted me with everything. Maybe... I deserve more. Or the pride of David having committed the sin. I can't let people see me at fault. I need to cover it up so I can keep on being seen as a wonderful king. How can I hide my sin so no one will ever know? There is a temptation of seeing false flattery. Joseph could have thought, I'm young and handsome. And this person is taking a keen interest in me. That makes me feel important. And this temptation is of pride mixed with self-indulgence or ignorance is like going on an ego trip. And humanity has been at war with sin crouching at our door from almost the beginning. Satan, that servant of old, a murderer from the beginning with the aim to kill God's creation, mankind, deceives and tempts Adam and Eve to disobey God. And we read of the lingering of the eye on something that grows from a temptation into an intention and then into an act. So in Genesis 3, verse 6, we read, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Little point. God wasn't stopping Adam and Eve knowing the difference between good and evil. He was ensuring that their understanding was founded on their relationship with him. Like children learn from their parents, they would have learned what was good through what God was going to teach them. And there's this allusion to the lust of the eye 
in this story to then to the lust of the flesh and then this pride of life, putting us above where we are. The battle against temptation isn't just in the Bible as a distant story or a moral lesson teaching us to do better. Temptation is a reality in everyday life, with everyday people in a world that has fallen away from God. One of my favourite Christian pop bands is the Newsboys. Uh, anyone else love listening to the Newsboys? Yeah, look at and the children up there. You've learned some great music from your parents, obviously. Um, and uh, the Newsboys, uh, I've been listening to them since I've been a teen, so they're not as modern as I'd like to think they are. But um, some of the band members are still the same in the Newsboys band. They now have Michael Tate, who is from DC Talk, who is another band I used to listen to. Uh, and their previous singer was, uh, lead singer was Peter Furler, who stepped back some years ago, about 2009. Um, and uh, he still sings with the band at times, and he actually is a, their producer. He produces, writes the songs, and they work together on that. But the band originally began with a singer, a lead singer called John James and made their way into fame with songs like Shine and Take Me To Your Leader. However, in the midst of all this, John James got addicted to heart sin and made a terrible, terrible mistake. I'm going to watch a clip shortly uh, where the original lead singer, John James, speaks of how his internal heart condition was very different to what he was externally shown to the world. And that sooner or later, what was in the heart was going to spill over into the physical. He shows how there were other things in his life that joined in with his heart adultery to draw him away from what were the most important things in his life, his family and God. Other things had become an addiction to him, and even without committing the physical act of adultery, his heart adultery was to ruin his life. Have a listen to the clip and see if you pick up some of these other things that he mentions. G'day there, my name's John James. I was the former lead singer and co-founder of The Newsboys, and this is my story. Success just began to come like a tsunami. It was more work than ever, uh, longer tours than ever, uh, filling the biggest arenas, and now starting to sell hundreds of thousands of albums, now starting to win Dub Awards for Rock Song of the Year, Rock Band of the Year. The Newsboys! You know, starting to see gold albums and, you know, we were getting married and having families and children, but the incredible wealth was coming now, the, the beautiful homes, the, the, the beautiful cars. We were living the American dream. What are we for? Money, lifestyle, success, fame, the ministry has the ability to expose um, defects in your character. It's easy to be great from a distance when the limelight's on, but behind the closed doors, when you're not on stage, when no one's around, the lifestyle will begin to expose, like I said, the, the defects in who you are, in your foundation, in your character. And that's what happened to me. I'm losing my own grip and that sense of humility and humbleness and staying connected to the vines, connected to God. I made the terrible mistake of not guarding the sacredness of my marriage and my, my own life where I begin to begin to chat with uh, other women who obviously weren't my wife online. It became the most addictive thing. 
little compromise here and there, eventually it's going to take its toll on every area of your life. I had one lifestyle of, of who I was when I was on stage, but then when I wasn't on stage, um, I was a totally different person. I believed in the gospel message, the message of hope, but I began to cut anchors from my life. I confided with uh, one of the band members. Long story short, I was forced to step down and, and resign from the newsboys. My, my world, um, it fell apart and I, I was so exposed. I felt so um, naked because I think at that moment uh, I came to the shocking realisation that my whole sense of value and, and worth and my whole identity was, was totally wrapped up in, in who I was with the newsboys. That meant more to me than my marriage. They're trying to fight for my wife, for my, my daughter. No, my, this is my identity. As long as I was with the newsboys, I'm somebody. I have a purpose, I have a future. I have a hope, my success, my fame. Then when my career came to an end, I used alcohol as just a vehicle to escape. And things only went from worse to worse. I know my wife one day and she found a bunch of letters and she opened it up and they're all from this woman uh, that I'd been talking to and, and she left. We'll hear a little bit more about uh, John James and his journey through repentance, true deliberate repentance and what happens next. First, let me just give you uh, some little tips. Uh, on a website which is called Desiring God, uh, there's an article and it uses the acronym ANTHEM to think about how do we find a simple strategy when we find ourselves under temptation. Uh, so with the acronym ANTHEM, First of all, A, avoid whenever possible. We've mentioned that already. Uh, flee from such temptations. Can I also mention that early church fathers knew the same thing to do, but they forgot it was an internal heart condition. They went into the wilderness, into the desert, uh, and they kept them away from society. And then when they came back, they came back because they realised it wasn't the external conditions which were the problem. It was a heart condition in them, and they had to deal with that, whether they're in the desert or close around society. So keep that in mind. In say no. Use the five-second rule. If something is tempting you, whatever the situation is, anger, uh, lust, um, despair, depression, then say no to it immediately. And turn the mind forcefully to Jesus. We have a Saviour who's overcome all these things. He's faced all the things that we have and he's overcome them. He hasn't fallen into sin. Uh, so turn your mind forcefully to Jesus and hold the promise of Jesus as your Lord and Saviour greater than anything else in your heart. Don't just flip to him briefly. Keep him there. The E, enjoy the greater satisfactions God gives us. There's so much goodness God has given you. Um, enjoy them. Don't be lulled into something less. And the M, an anthem, move to a useful activity 
and away from idleness. That sometimes can be a little catch. I've given five more points, which I've just, uh, I haven't used an acronym, but just some practical things which came to my mind I want to share with you. First of all, um, recognise that it is a spiritual battle you're in. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Second, recognise in your own life any trends or times or resources that open the opportunities to temptations and avoid them. Think about what things, if there's different days, weeks, situations, which might just make you weaker in the spirit. Third one, real practical, get some sleep. Get the sleep you need. Okay, Rather than staying up late night idling or blotting out because you're overtired. And that applies also to how we would treat the Sabbath. Use a Sabbath. We need a Sabbath to replenish our souls and hearts. So consider that and that view, how we would use a Sabbath weekly. Fourth one, pray and find accountability to someone you can trust. You might find that you need to talk to someone very privately who would just be there to support you. They may not have the skills to support you, they won't have the answers, but sometimes having someone there to walk beside you um, physically and, and there is a very good thing. And fifth one there, remove even things that you find are precious to you if they lend the way to sin. That's what Jesus meant by if you have a right, if your right arm or right hand or right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. He's explaining in Jewish culture that the most important, precious things, like for the Jewish culture, was the right hand. Uh, something which is precious and shows strength. If that's still causing you to sin or being led into temptation, remove it. Okay, it's better to remove that rather than hold on to things we want to cling to. Outward acts won't change a sinful heart, but the act forsaking what is harmful reflects a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Going back to the newsboys, Peter Furler, he was a uh, second lead singer and the one who sort of helped the, uh, the band grow. He sensed in 2009 that it was time to step back from a busy career of lead singer. He walked away from greater fame because he knew God wanted him to. Maybe to ensure that the things that were really important were kept as his key focus. He says, I could feel the Lord leading my steps and that this was just another part of my journey. And he had the right perspective on the greater things uh, and satisfactions that come from Christ. He says, as a man, I'm meant to stay faithful to my wife, to love her, to look after her, to care for her. And then he moved on. He, as I say, he worked with, uh, he still works with the Newsboys as their producer. He did his own music in the end. God still blessed him with having more music to play. And they're there, maybe not as popular as the Newsboys, but he's found that God has used that aspect of his music in a beautiful way to encourage others. There is a discernment that Peter Furler of the Newsboys had by putting God and the greatest satisfactions that God gives first in his life. John James got caught up in the same temptation as King David did. And he learned the same lesson as King David did, as we read in Psalm 51. We're going to play another second short clip just to hear about his journey through repentance. For, for God to really do the miracle of the healing and restoration, 
uh, John James had to die. Mm. Uh, I had to find that place of true repentance, of, mm. of being broken. I was yeah. so full of me, even mm. when I lost everything and went back to Australia and everything was taken from me. In my mind, I was still this celebrity on top of the mountaintop living the dream and I had to die and if anything I know about dying the South, the South does not want to die. <laughs> Last point, anything that we know about ourselves, our own beings, we don't want to die, we don't give up uh, our own rights. King David wrote Psalm 51 after he was confronted by one of his peers the prophet Nathan. In that psalm, we see David asking for the same thing John James needed. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. With the sins that can lead to adultery, we need God to give us a heart transplant. We cannot do it in our old selves. So as we read through the Sermon on the Mount and recognise that we need Jesus to be our righteousness, we also learn that in the heart surgery that God gives us, there is in fact a vital part that we are called to play in this war against sin. Wholehearted repentance. Verse 16 and 17. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I will offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart through God. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you now. In this life where there are so many temptations that we might battle with, we know we need to die to ourselves, to give up ourselves, our own justifications, and call on your help, to call for a new heart and spirit. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who works in us and the strength he can give us in such situations. Lord, I pray that today, anyone who's struggling, uh, with any temptation, any addiction, that you would give them that spirit and that would seek for true repentance from our old selves and for a release of healing that comes from this repentant heart. Lord, let us be yours and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen.